medically easy to listen to. Others are harsh. For example, German. You have harsh sounds in German. Guttural sounds. You know, all kinds of... And French. French, you have these nasal sounds. You know, uh, au revoir and all that kind of stuff. But Spanish. Oh, it's like satin. Listen. Listen, here's a... Hey, fellas, don't do that to me. <laughs> here's a, let me give you an illustration. Here's a song that was written by a fellow from Guatemala, and it's his testimony. What happened to him when he came to Christ? Just listen to the, the easiness of the language. Hay una senda que el mundo no conoce. Hay una senda que yo pude encontrar. En Cristo tengo la salvación de mi alma. Cristo es la senda que me puede salvar. En Cristo tengo la salvación de mi alma. Cristo es la senda que me puede salvar. Now, wasn't that smooth and nice? Huh? Well, you know, I'm kidding about the language of heaven. I don't know what that's going to be like, but it's going to be wonderful. We're all going to have, uh, we're going to have uh, the ability to say things and sing things and praise God in ways that we just can't imagine. It's going to be wonderful. But, in the meantime, we're here. And God has given us some things to do. And one of those is to relate to one another in a biblical way. Tonight, we're going to have an introduction. That's all it's going to be. An introduction to biblical interpersonal relationships. Skip and I have discussed this, Gino and some of the rest of us. And in the future, at some point, we want to have a series on this whole matter of relating to one another in a biblical way as a body. But tonight I simply want to give an overview to let you see some of what God has to say about this matter of relationships. Now one reason it's important is that in our society we have heard a lot of things about relationships. Books have been written. Books like The Friendship Factor, others like that in which a great deal of emphasis is placed on developing intimate, as they call them, intimate relationships that are non-sexual. Now, the difficulty, of course, is that almost any time that a man and a woman, who are not married, of course, develop a relationship that becomes intimate. And when I say intimate, I mean sharing intimacies of their own life, things that are going on. 
an emotional attraction begins to develop. And it's virtually impossible to keep that from crossing the line and getting physical. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And that's happening in our society a lot today. And people are being encouraged to to get involved in relationships that are, quote, meaningful and and that minister. Those are the thoughts and the concepts that are communicated. And so it's important for you and for me, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, to understand what God has to say about this matter of relationships. Now, first of all, I need to say this. I need to say that when we think of relationships and with regards to God, we have to remember that the very reason that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, was that you and I might have an intimate relationship with him. Now, there may be some here tonight who don't have that. You've never come to a place where you have admitted your need and have recognized the fact that without Jesus Christ, you cannot know God. You may try to pray, and you may want to believe certain things, and you may use God's name, but you have never experienced the reality of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by coming to him, admitting your sin, asking him for forgiveness, and believing that he is making you at that point a member of the family of God. Now, when that happens, you see, immediately you have a new relationship. You are related to God as a son or a daughter. You are related to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and a brother. And you are related to the Holy Spirit who comes to live in you to accomplish God's purposes. So relationships have a very important aspect to play in our lives, not just in relating to one another, but in recognizing that God wants us to relate to him in the proper way. So we're going to begin that tonight. Before we do, let's just commit the time to the Lord, shall we? Again, our Father, we come to just place ourselves at your altar and ask that you would do whatever you want in these minutes that we have together. In my life, in my mind, in my heart, and in the life of each one who is here tonight. Lord God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch each life. And that something would take place that will make a permanent difference for your glory. I ask this for your honor. I ask that the Lord Jesus would be exalted and that we would be edified and strengthened as a result of being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this statement and see if you identify with it. It is not my statement. I learned it from another person. It is impossible to overemphasize the immense need that humans have 
to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, and to be understood. Can you identify with that? Do you have a need to be listened to, taken seriously, and understood? Can you identify with that? If you can, raise your hand. Of course. It's almost a foolish question. But I want you to understand that that is what is true of you. All of us have those basic needs. Now, the problem is that in our society today, there is a misunderstanding about what it means to open our lives and be transparent with one another. That has been misused in some Christian groups. It certainly is being misused in many psychological uh, groups, therapy groups of one kind or another. And yet, that need exists. It's even complicated further by the fact that in our society, men are not supposed to fall into that kind of a pattern. We're supposed to be hard and tough and, and able to handle everything. And to see a man cry is to, to think of weakness. At least that's what our society says. It's what, it's what I call the John Wayne syndrome. You remember that. A husband comes home and his wife said, Sweetheart, can, can I do anything for you? Nope. Anything you need? Nope. Everything all right? Yep. You know, to admit that we have a need is somehow looked down on. But the truth is, the scripture tells us that it is imperative if we're going to be healthy spiritually, it is imperative, essential, indispensable that we open our lives. James 5.16 says this, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The healing of some of those struggles that we are having and some of those hurts and some of those, those, the anger that we feel sometimes and the frustration that we feel and, and all of those feelings that we have, the healing of those things begins when we're willing to admit them to someone that cares and will pray with us. And James says, you'll be healed. Those will begin to be healed by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I read a little booklet. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? It's written by a, a man by the name of John Powell. And he made this statement. The reason that I'm afraid to tell you who I am, that is to say, the reason I'm afraid to open up my life and let you know what really is going on, what I'm struggling with, is if I tell you who I am, 
You may not like who I am, and it's all I have. Did you get that? If I open my life up and I tell somebody what I'm struggling with, and they give me an answer to let me know that they think that's, that's bad, some kind of a reaction on their part that makes me feel rejected by them, that's all I have. It's like the little boy that walks in from the backyard. He's been playing out there and his, and his feet are muddy. And his mom has just finished waxing the kitchen floor. And he comes stomping in and he takes three steps and his mother sees it and she says, Stop! And the little kid's, you know, he, so he stops. She says, What are you doing? I just cleaned the floor. Get out of here. Now he says, wait a minute. If I move, I'm going to put more footsteps on the floor. Now what can I do at this point? Well, that's how we feel when we go to someone. And it's happened to me, by the way. I have gone to a person and told them that I felt that there was a, that, that there was a tension in our relationship. And I've asked them if we couldn't work it out only to have them turn around and say, George, it's your imagination. What do you do? Where do you go from there? Well, the Bible tells us what to do. And that's what we want to try and see tonight. An overview of how we can begin to relate to one another in a healthy way for growth and edification as God wants us to. Now, Let's start with John 13, 34, and 35. Many of you know that passage quite well. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you. Now that's important to realize. It's a commandment. Let's keep that in mind. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now that's a fairly clear statement. So we all agree with that. We say, right, we need to love now we run into a problem, and that is what our understanding and concept of love is. We live in a society that has sentimentalized and romanticized the concept of love to such a degree that you and I, as we seek to follow the Lord, have some of those concepts in our minds. We think of love in some of those terms, love as a feeling. Love has emotions, and therefore that's love. But that isn't the biblical love about which God is speaking here. Notice what it says. It's a commandment. And you do not respond to commandments on the basis of feelings, do you? You respond to commandments on the basis of choices, on the basis of your will. You choose to obey or you choose to disobey, but it's a choice that you make. It's not how you feel 
that leads you to obey. It's whether you believe that that is what God wants and you are willing to do what he says regardless of how you feel. That's how you deal with commandments. And so I want you to, those of you who happen to be taking notes and the rest of you can remember this, biblical love is an act of the will. An act of the will, not of the emotions. People come and they say, we're getting a divorce. And my first question is, why? What's happened? Well, we don't love one another anymore. And after asking questions, what I find out is, they're talking about feelings. They're saying, we don't like some of the things that we're beginning to see in one another. That's not, that isn't what love is about. Married love, love that leads to marriage, is a love of commitment. And a commitment demands an act of the will, not emotions. You don't fall in and out of love, not biblical love. You choose to love, and you choose to love even when you don't like that person. But in our society, that's not happening. People get married for all kinds of reasons. Sexual attraction, whatever it might be. And after that starts to fade away, they lose interest in one another. Because it wasn't based on a, on a love of commitment. Now, my friends, this verse, or these two verses that we've looked at, John 13, 34 and 35, are the basis, the biblical basis for effective, helpful, edifying relationships in the body of Christ. Now we have to understand then what this love involves. We've said it's an act of the will. By the way, for those of you who are interested in history, let me just tell you something. In the 17th century, the philosopher Descartes made a statement. He says, this, this is the generation, and he, called it, he identified it this way, the, the generation of cogito ergo sum. That's the Latin phrase. And it means, I know, therefore, I am, or I think. I have the capacity to think. I'm an intellectual being. Therefore, I am. And that was the era in which we, we see the philosophers being stimulated and all of the, the mental gymnastics that came out of our history are in that period. Interestingly enough, the next two centuries, the 18th and 19th centuries, were identified with the same phrase but a different word. Facio ergo sum. I do. I do. Facio. Therefore I am. And it was the era in which we had all of the, the uh, tremendous artists and the sculptors and, and the manufacturers of outstanding furniture, which people are still trying to buy today. It, the, what was exalted was the ability to do something with your hands. That was what the society was known for. 
Now guess what the 20th century is known for. Here's the word. Again in the, in the Latin. Sentio ergo sum. Sentio. You know what that means. I feel, therefore I am. It's a generation in which feelings are exalted. And many people make a commitment to Jesus Christ on the basis of feelings and never follow through. And many people respond to all kinds of things on the basis of feelings. It's a generation in which, in which we say, basically, the society says, if it feels good, it can't be wrong. But you see, biblical love cannot be identified in that same way. Biblical love demands discipline. It demands self-control. And we're going to see some of that in just a moment. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to read verses 4 through 7. Now, I have here a copy of the, the translation by J.B. Phillips. Some of you are familiar with that. He says this in such a, a meaningful way. I want to read it out of this, and you follow in your Bibles, okay? That's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This love of which I speak is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way of being constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. It is not touchy. It does not compile statistics of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust. No fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that will stand when all else has fallen. That, my friends, is a description of biblical love. And when we communicate to someone that we love them, we had better have in our minds what it means. Not just I'm attracted to you. Not just I think you're nice. I think you're pretty. I think you're handsome. Whatever it might be. No. Biblical love has all of these characteristics. And they demand, they demand from you and from me, discipline. To put them into practice. For example, the word patience. None of us always feels patient. None of us. 
That's right. We don't. With our children, with one another, with wives, with husbands. Patience is something we choose to give that person. It's a gift that we, that we present by a choice that we make. I choose to be patient. By the way, when the Bible talks of love, keep this in mind, love in the Bible is always other-oriented, not self-oriented. It is always other-oriented. Love your enemies. But they did something wrong. Doesn't make any difference. You demonstrate these characteristics to them. Love them. Love your neighbor. But I don't like the fact that they park their car on the lawn and they have a dog that barks all night and, you know, whatever goes on. I don't like that. Well, okay, you don't like it. But the Bible says you love them. And you move toward them with these characteristics. I've counseled many, many marriages and often I've told whichever party comes in complaining about the other party and it's always that way. You know, I, I never get involved in counseling a marriage unless I have both people there. There's a very strong statement in the Bible that says the first person who comes and expresses themselves always seems right until the second person comes and sets the record straight. <laughs> Never counsel a, a marriage unless you counsel a couple. Now, you can help an individual. And when they come, I will try to help them individually and try to help them understand what they need to do, but not what they can do as far as the other person is concerned. And one of the things I try to tell them always is, move towards them with love. I don't care how they're acting. I don't care how you feel about them. You move toward them with love. Serve them. Be kind to them. Be patient. You'll be surprised what will happen. I did that not long ago. Sometime later, a person came and said, you know, it worked. I said, of course it works. God said it will. You move toward them with this kind of love. That's why it is so basic to this whole matter of relationships in the body of Christ. Now, I think it's important at this point, and here's something that comes up continually in my counseling. When we get about here, when I get to talking about what we're talking about now, what do you suppose one of the questions, one of the first questions that come back is? Well, well, George, I, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but you know, how can I change? What do I do? How do I change? I've tried. I've, I know I should love them, and I, and I, you know, on and on. But how do I change? You know what? We do have a wrong understanding of how that kind of change takes place in us. Let me see if I can explain it to you briefly, and we'll probably have to end with this. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter, verse 12 and 13. Okay? 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Again, I'm going to read out of the Philips. Work out the south. Now, notice that says work out, not work for. You cannot work for your salvation. God gives us that through the Lord Jesus Christ by grace. And there's nothing we can do to earn it or to work it out. Or to work for it, rather. But he does say, work it out. Now, what does he mean? I'll explain that in a moment. Here's going. Let me finish reading. Work out the salvation that God has given you with a proper sense of awe and responsibility. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Now, notice the sequence. God never does something carelessly. The Spirit of God put this sequence in here intentionally. You cannot ask God to do what he has commanded you to do. Can we say that again? You cannot ask God to do what he has commanded you to do. We were talking about love a moment ago. Now, that is a command that God has given you and me. And yet people are constantly praying, and I hear them, and, and I, I don't question their sincerity. But I think, I think they're, they're, they're on erroneous wavelengths. They say, God, give me love for my wife or my husband, who is such a meathead, you know? And, and they don't get an answer. And they say, I've been praying about it, and boy, you know, God just doesn't seem to hear me. No, he hears you. But he's saying, Joe, Mary, George. No, you can't ask me to do that, because I already told you to do that. And there are many other things like that. We could go on and name a number of things, obviously, many of the commandments in the Scripture, of things that God tells us we're supposed to do that we keep asking him for. Patience. Give me patience with my children. Give me patience with the people at work. I was today, just today, let me give you an illustration. I was driving on the freeway, and there were three of these great big semis out in front of me there, and so I was watching and taking my time. Finally, they, they all kind of got lined up, and the passing lane was open, so I started to move into the passing lane, and all of a sudden, I was halfway up this semi, a semi and trailer, and I was halfway up when he turned on his turn signals and started to pull over. And I was on the part of the freeway where the cement barrier is in the center. I mean, I had nowhere to go. I beeped. And he kept coming, so I braked, and fortunately there was no one behind me, and he pulled right on over. Well, now, how do you think I felt at that moment? <laughs> You're right. I said, you meathead. And then I thought, wait a minute, now wait a minute. You're going to be talking at Calvary Chapel tonight about this very thing. 
Forgive me for that. I choose to demonstrate forgiveness and patience. And you know, God did that. I pulled around after a while and the other lane opened up and I passed him and as I passed him, I waved at him. I, you know, could have done other things, but I waved at him. Well, that, you see, that's what I'm saying. That is what we have to do. We cannot ask God to do what he has told you and me to do. Now, now let's keep it, let's keep, let's make sure we get the whole picture here. Notice, it says, work out your own salvation. That is to say, take responsibility for that which you understand. In a group like this, in a group like this, there's, uh, there, there, there is a tremendous differential, differential in our levels of understanding because some have had more teaching and have more experience and so on, and I understand that. And you're not responsible for what somebody else knows, but you are responsible for what you know. And this verse is saying, you work that out. You put that into practice. You do what you know you should do. Take responsibility for that. Don't ask me to do what I've told you to do. That's what God says. But the next verse, I'll tell you the next verse is fantastic. Because he says, the minute you make that choice, he is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. But it has to be in that sequence. You have to be willing to make that initial choice and then by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit He works in you to give you the strength and the ability to do what you've chosen to do. That's the way He does it. And that's how love works. We choose to love. We make the choice. And God gives us the grace to demonstrate the characteristics of love to that person whether they're the characteristic of, of patience or, or kindness or mercy, whatever it might be. But we have to make that choice. Now, we're out of time. Let me finish with one last verse. And as I said, this is sort of the introduction to what probably will happen sometime later and we'll have a, a series of instructions on the matter of relationships and the need that we have, you and I, as members of the body, the need that we have for meaningful, effective, strong relationships with other members of the body. That's one of the reasons for these kinship groups that you hear about. And many of you are not involved in those yet. We hope you will be, and we hope we can help you understand why it's important. You see, when you read the, the New Testament, you, you'll, you'll find you'll read a lot of verses that talk about one another. One another verses. Colossians 3.16 says, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then there's another verse, and this is the one I want to end with tonight. And it's Hebrews 13, or excuse me, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that causes you to fall away from the living God. See, that can happen to any of us. It's happened to a lot of people who started out well and for one reason or another they lost their confidence and they fell away. But notice what it says in the next verse. The antidote, the way to keep that from happening, is to encourage one another day after day so that you do not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now that word encourage, some of you know this, that word encourage comes from the very same word as the name of the Holy Spirit. The name of the Holy Spirit, and we're familiar with this, is the paraclete. This verse, or that, this word that's used, is the same basic word, the same root word, paraclesis. It's taken from two Greek words, P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O, parakaleo, and it means to come alongside and help. And when the Scripture talks about encouraging one another, that's what it's saying. Come alongside and help. Whatever that person needs at that point, be willing to come alongside and in a, in a demonstration of biblical love, help that person. Well, after all is said and done, one final verse. 1 Peter 5.5 5. 1 Peter 5.5 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. With humility. In love, with humility. Now we're going to close. It may be it may be that there are some here tonight that have a relationship that needs healing. Maybe you have some resentment or bitterness towards someone. Maybe there's anger or envy or jealousy. And you would like to have one of us pray with you about that. You would like to experience that healing that we talked about where it says in James 5.16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and, and pray with somebody up here. There will be several of us here. And we just want to help you. We just want to encourage you in this area. 
We want to try and, and bring about some healing in some strained or broken relationships. Will you let us do that? We'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. And if there is such a need and you would like someone to pray with you, come up and give us that privilege. Let's stand, shall we? You know, it's, it's because of the name of Jesus that we can have these relationships, isn't it? Let's sing about his name, all those beautiful names.